Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. I've got to see you Let's talk about the diversity of these young men and what they could play. That's what they gave America or gave the world is just their brilliance of being able to conform and play whatever was needed to play. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia Meets World, we are back after the new year. It's Will. And Neil, 2022, what up? Hey, new year, new beginnings, new everything, right? Yes, sir. Left that door open all day yesterday. I was going to ask you. Yeah. How'd how'd that work out for you? I don't know. I just hope it all got out because I left them wide open. Temperature was good. Weather was decent. I left the doors open all day. Any uh, fireworks? Man, no. I thought about you, though. Someone in the neighborhood did, though. I started to, and then... It was kind of dreary rain, and literally 15 minutes after I thought about it, I even said something about it. Somebody in the neighborhood shot some off. I was like, dang, Will must have called them. Yeah, I heard some in my neighborhood, and I thought about you. I was like, I'm sure Neil's shooting them off. (laughs) I refrained. We had the Christmas episode, special episode. We had the New Year's special episode, but we are kind of back on, on the music music series on this episode and all our listeners know that i am a deep musical intellect so uh (laughs) they are they are going to get high quality music criteria from me yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) i left him speechless i love it (laughs) so yeah picking up on music 2022 here we are another year do you ever get nervous about the new year? Do I ever get nervous? I guess a little bit. You know, I'm always trying to look forward, but sometimes you just don't know what that forward is, especially in this day and age. Of all the things that happened in 2021, I mean, what can we expect for 2022, you know? Yeah. So I guess there's a little anxiety there, but I'm also hopeful um, for, for this coming year. I'm excited about, about a lot of things. So um, there's a range of emotions there. How about you? Spoken like a true politician. Uh, Yeah. As weird as this is going to be, you know what year I graduated high school. Okay. I do. So let's take ourselves back to like, everybody thought it was going to be the end of the world. Right. So every year it's just beat into my head. Like that same anxiety comes back up. Like, (laughs) Okay, is the clock going to end every year? Is the clock going to roll over? (laughs) Is it going to? Is it going to happen? 
like, are the lights going to go out? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> so, so every year, every year on December the, you know, 27th, 28th, like, I make sure the pantry's got a lot of food in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now, now you keep you keep your doors open, so you shouldn't have to worry about it. That's true. That's true. I got that new tradition now, so I'm good. You're good. I, I wanted to mention this after this past weekend. You know, you talk about the New Year's, and we've talked about it before. The opening day of college football season is always a special day for us, but also New Year's Day. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's all about college football, but. You know, we mentioned the Appalachian teams in previous episodes and, and how their record has been over the last decade or two decades. And now we have in the national championship game, the battle for Appalachia. That's right. That's the, right. The number one team in the land is going to be from Appalachia. No, it's incredible. I know. It seems like every year Appalachia is just competing for a national title. It's great. Yeah. It's been a great uh, run for the Appalachian teams for sure. So I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, several days from now, just a few days from now, actually. Yeah, Monday night, the 10th. Mo moving on, I wanted to say, like I said, we're in the middle of our music series. And, you know, when you think about music in Appalachia, and we mentioned this before, the first thing that comes to mind is country and bluegrass. But there's such a diversity of music in Appalachia I mean everything from uh hip-hop like we've mentioned in in the past to Jack Harlow to reggae <laughs> to rock and roll to southern rock you know we have everything from from new age like Rainbow Kitten Surprise they're from Appalachia if you never heard their sound but I what we wanted to dedicate this episode to is really the Muscle Shoals region if anyone knows of Muscle Shoals, then they know of the Muscle Shoals sound. It's legendary. Kind of that funky bass, that funky drum, that, that one word that describes it, that everyone describes it as, is just funky. We want it, and what, what a lot of people know is that, you know, Muscle Shoals is right in Appalachia. It's, it's another part of the region. You know, we've had many hosts to say there are very there, there are a lot of Appalachias. There are a lot of different parts to Appalachia. And one of those different parts is Muscle Shoals, Alabama, that region, what they refer to as the Shoals. So not just they've not just been producing wonderful football for the last, you know, 60 years. But Alabama and, and uh, the foothills of Appalachia has been the uh, music source for a lot of people referred to as the hit recording capital of the world in Appalachia. Number ones over and over and over again. It's just incredible how it was formed, how it has proceeded to produce hit after hit after hit. And that's something we want to, we want to talk about tonight. I am not the best music person as we've talked about before, but this guy coming on tonight, man, he will be able to educate me and all of our listeners yeah definitely and that's why we wanted to have him on the show he, he's a uh, you know music historian music music virtuoso of the shoals sound there's some legends that come out of the sounds i love the drive-by truckers and and they are from muscle shoals uh jason isbel's from that area you, you know obviously they have the historic hits from from the region but also they keep producing hit after hit. Alicia Keys loves recording in Muscle Shoals. 
it's just an incredible pl place. And that's why we want to have Terrell Benton on the show tonight to talk about that. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. Let's, let's get him going. All right, let's let him educate us. On, on tonight's episode, we have with us Terrell Benton. He was born and raised in the Shoals area. He spent a long time away with Tower Records. And since that time, he moved back home and is now, a, he's a music historian. He's a tour guide at the, at the legendary Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. He's a self-proclaimed, I've heard him say, music geek. And what we'll say, uh, a music virtuoso of all things shows musical history so terrell we definitely uh thank you for your time and appreciate you being here well i i appreciate it too anytime we can talk about muscle shows and the music history there I'm, I'm more than happy to be involved so great absolutely i want to start it off with a question our family has a tradition of appetizers at the holidays we always have a huge spread. There's usually more appetizers than the meal. So we wanted to ask you just to kick it off. Do you have a favorite appetizer? Well, as a 38-year vegetarian, mm. you're going to really love this. <laughs> I like raw broccoli. <laughs> oh, wow. Hey. Yeah, we'll do, like, we'll do like broccoli, carrots, and cauliflower and that type of stuff. The, so, the important yeah, question is, what, do you dip them in something? What's the dip? I actually uh, turn into a good old Southern country boy. It's ranch dressing. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I just had, I just had some of that, that yesterday, actually. Uh, I, I hear you. I, was, I, did, uh, I did as I, well. I was nervous about that answer of what you dipped it in because I didn't want to. I didn't want to <laughs> seem seem bad because I use ranch as well. But I'm glad to hear we, we got like mine. <laughs> Absolutely, it's just that, that's that good old Southern thing. I reckon, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now with, we have that question out of the way. We'll go ahead and get started on the shows. And I just want to let our listeners know where exactly the show, what, what exactly the Shoals region is. And it, it's in the upper northwest corner of Alabama, kind of on the border of Mississippi and Tennessee. It's really made up right. of four smaller cities, being Sheffield, which is where uh, the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio is, a, a town of about 9,000 people. And then there's Muscle Shoals, where the famed studio, recording studio is. It's a town of about 15,000 people. And then there's Florence, the biggest town in, in the uh, region. It's about 40,000. And then there's Tuscumbia, which is around 8,500. Right. And so that makes up the Shoals region that, that we're talking about today, where this kind of muscle shows sound comes from. So, Terrell, right. I, got, I got a question real quick. I know you've probably got this question many times, but I know many ask and many try to figure out, but what exactly is the muscle shows sound? Well, I'm going to use uh, what a couple of the, the swampers at Muscle Shoals Sound said. Uh, David Hood, when asked what the Muscle Shoals Sound one was one time, he said, well, it was him on bass 
and the great Roger Hawkins on drums. He goes, Roger always played a beat behind the bass. And that was that groove they found. It was that funk that they found. And on all those great soul classics done in Muscle Shoals from Aretha Franklin to the Staple Singers, that was that funk that they found. And I think that's as good a description of the Muscle Shoals sound as anything. I think that's spot on. In, in every description that I've heard, the number one word that's always used is funk or funky. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, uh, I mean, you look back at the, uh, most of the guys in the Swampers at Muscle Shoals Sound uh, started playing in uh, high school bands and they played dances. What did you want to dance to? Soul music. Yeah. Gary Butler. Uh, you know, the coasters, the drifters, and that's how they learned. And then when Arthur Alexander had the first big hit to come out of Muscle Shoals with You Better Move On, that kind of set the stage for it being the capital of the South there. It really did. Yeah. What people, most people don't know, and even a lot of our listeners don't know, is that Muscle Shoals is at the foothills of, of the Appalachian Mountains, right in the Appalachian region. And while most people, when they right. think about Appalachian music, first thing that comes to mind is bluegrass or country, but they kind of forget about the muscle shows and that, that funky sound that comes out of there. I, I want to get into the history a little bit and talk about Rick Hall, mm-hmm. but I've heard him say, you know, his roots and where he's from is what kind of made him and what made him become what he had, what he became uh, in founding sure. Fame Studios. Can you uh, talk a little bit about just growing up in that region and, and how so many people from that region kind of made it legendary to Appalachia, but also can you tell a little bit about the history of Rick Hall and how he started Fame Studios? Sure. Uh, Rick was a, a kid from uh, Hamilton, Alabama, about 50, 60 miles south of the Shoals area. And uh, Rick had come to the Shoals and had been had begun gotten involved with a uh, a group of local guys that had a little studio in downtown Florence. They actually called it Spar Music at the time. Later, it was changed to Fame, which actually stands for Florence Alabama Music Enterprises. And uh, after his the founders of that little studio eventually kind of moved on, Rick took it over, and in 1961 moved it to Muscle Shoals, to a temporary location, and then in 62 to the current location on Avalon Avenue in Muscle Shoals. It's the same building, same setup, just like it was back in those days. Uh, Rick just had this burning desire. I think in the Muscle Shoals documentary, he says, I wanted to be somebody. He'd grown up hard, rough, tough. Uh, lived in a, a home with where he slept on a, a bed made of straw and dirt floors, and he had this desire to be someone. He had wanted to start a studio, and he'd actually talked to Florence, Alabama native, the great Sam Phillips of Elvis Presley fame. And Rick said, I think I need to open this studio in Nashville. And Sam talked him into putting it in Muscle Shoals. He said, you can make it there. He started the studio. And then in 1962, he heard about this gentleman that uh, worked at a local hotel that someone said could sing and write. And he brought him in, and that was Arthur Alexander. And the first hit out of Muscle Shoals was Done at Fame with Rick, and it was called You Better Move On, later covered by the Rolling Stones. You as a man. 
kind of the beginning of rick and that that was the beginning yeah. of fame or as it's known today right that first hit absolutely absolutely b-side of you better move on uh was a little song called anna which was covered by the beatles as well and uh the first beatles tour the opening act was arthur alexander backed by a bunch of kids that were the original players over at Fame Studio, a bunch of kids from the area where the the band that opened for uh, the Beatles with Arthur Alexander. So I, a little crazy history there. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first rhythm section of right of of Fame right. Studios. But after they toured with the Beatles, I know as history is told, they left, mm-hmm. and then Rick right. had to come up with a new rhythm section, and he came up with the four kind of founders of what we now refer to as, or what they called them back in the day as the Swampers. Those original Swampers, I just want to read their names. David Hood, Jimmy Johnson, Walter Hawkins, and Barry Beckett. Can you talk about the significance of the Swampers and, and their sound to, sure. the, to the studio? Absolutely. Well, uh, it's it's hard to, to kind of quickly tell what right. these boys <laughs> meant to music, you know. Initially, it was David, Roger, and Jimmy at Fame, and and David actually on the, the bass player for Swampers was initially the trombone player. A couple of tracks over there before he got the the gig as the bass guy. Initially, the keyboard player was going to be the Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Spooner Olam, and then Spooner decided to move to Memphis with Dan Penn and be a songwriter. And the Swampers went to Pensacola, Florida and met this keyboard player that was looking for a job, and they brought him back, and that was Barry Beckett. But these four young men, Aretha Franklin, Stink, Respect, uh, it, that was Roger and Jimmy on all of those tracks. Uh, David played on some of the Aretha stuff, but not the original stuff. <laughs> boys are the foundation of 60s soul in America. It was these boys and the Funk Brothers at uh, Motown that gave America the soul sound. Well, I, I should also add uh, Booker T and the MGs at Stax for the, the three rhythm sections if you wanted soul music. I'll just go on and off and tell you that, I'll put it this way, on a uh, Thursday afternoon in 1972 at Muscle Shoals Sound, Staple Singers were there. That day they recorded Respect Yourself and I'll Take You There, both number one. Two days later, Luther Ingram was there and they recorded If Loving You's Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right, number one. Three number ones in three days at Muscle Shoals Sound, and it was these boys. And two weeks after that, the artist recording at the studio was Paul Anka. 
Then a week after that, it was Leon Russell. Just talk about the diversity of these young men and what they could play. That's what they gave America or gave the world is just their brilliance of being able to conform and play whatever was needed to play. David Hood actually told me one time, he goes, once I realized the band for that musician, my ego went away. Their success depended on me. Wow. But yeah, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. I, I know in the documentary, uh, Wilson Pickett's in the documentary, and he talks about showing up, wanting that sound, wanting to record at, at the studio, uh, and wanting that sound, but not knowing that the, the Swampers were white. He was expecting a, uh-huh. a black, funky band, yeah. and he got that sound yeah. from those four white guys, and he said it kind of changed his perspective. Well, the great Jay Wexler that uh, was the man that loaned the money to the Swampers to start their own studio, he's the vice president of Atlantic Records, he signed Aretha, and one of his statements to Aretha was, Aretha, your other records didn't sell because you weren't funky. I'm taking you to Alabama. I got four white boys that are going to make you funky. (laughs) And the rest was history. (laughs) If you talk about them... David Hood, Jimmy Johnson, Walter Hawkins, Barry Beckett, they were all from the Shoals area, but also, like you mentioned, Arthur Alexander, Jimmy Hughes, Percy Sledge, mm-hmm. all from the Shoals yeah. area. Do you think that the area made them what they are? Do you think they recognize as Appalachians? Um, do you think their roots and, and where they're from kind of created that sound, created their music and, and created the hits? Sure. I think one of the most important parts of the Appalachians, and I think you'll agree with me here, whether it was blues or soul music, it was church. It was that, yeah. you know, with Percy Sledge, Percy, Percy was an orderly at a hospital in the Shoals, and he would sing gospel tunes to the patients in the rooms while he was cleaning the room. That was that foundation, that foothold. And I think that's what made these people so engaged in what they were doing was that was the church, you know? Yeah, I mean, just just like it was, you know, in, up in in Tennessee with the Carter family and and Jimmy Rogers, all of that stuff. I think that was all church based. Yeah, definitely. Percy Sledge. I mean, when you hear that name, not everyone knows that he came from the little town of Layton, Alabama. They're they're near the Shoals area. But when a man loves a woman, legendary hit that was recorded there. I, I just want to play a little bit. give you a quick little story about that song. Uh, Jimmy Johnson of the Swampers, it was his first production job. And they were recording in a little studio in Sheffield, Alabama uh, called Norala. And the day they recorded the song, it was so cold that the horns wouldn't stay in tune. Well, when Jerry Wexler heard the song, he goes, it's a million seller, but we're going to have to re-record those horns. So they did. And when it came time for Atlantic Records to send them to be mastered, someone sent the wrong tape. What you've heard all these years is Jimmy Johnson's out-of-tune horns. Crazy. It's a great story. 
That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. Jimmy was all of 22 years old when he did that <laughs> as, too, as well. So Amazing. I think he was always kind of proud of that, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll never listen to that song yeah. again the same. No, no, nuts. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Jerry Wexler earlier. Can you talk mm-hmm. about, I, I know Rick Hall had a good friendship in the beginning with Jerry Wexler and kind of, they had that connection mm-hmm. to bring artists to the, to the shows, but can you talk about the significance of Jerry Wexler on the history of the Muscle Shows? Well, you know, uh, Rick had been doing fairly well over at Fame, and uh, when Percy Sledge, when a man loves a woman, was cut, Rick decided that he would be the guy that would try to take it and get distribution and radio play for it. So he would, uh, he was a bold man, and he would just call people on the phone and play for some people over the phone what he had. He called Wexler. Wexler listened to that song as the story goes. It may be true or not. It was a Friday when Rick called him. And Wexler got off the phone and went to the Erdogan brothers that had founded the Atlantic Records and said, I'm just the song that's going to make us millionaires. Well, that was a Friday. And Monday, he was in Muscle Shoals. That was kind of the beginning of Wexler and his involvement, followed soon by, you know, Aretha. Wilson Pickett, Solomon Burke, actually even Otis Redding recorded it thing. When the uh, Swampers went to New York to play on Aretha's Respect and Think, when they came back, there was a little nasty situation with Rick. And Wexler is the man that loaned the Swampers the money to leave and rent a little building in Sheffield, which they eventually called Muscle Shoals Sound. Jerry was involved at the beginning. He's the one that brought the first artist, the second artist, the third artist. And he gave the Muscle Shoals Sound its biggest break in December of 69 when he brought the Rolling Stones to record at the Muscle Shoals Sound. But Wexler is one of the two or three people that made this entire music scene here happen. I mean, yeah. it was obviously, you know, Rick Hall, Jerry Wexler, and Sam Phillips was involved peripherally as well. I mean, Wexler was involved all the way up until he actually quit working in the uh, mid-1990s. I want to dig into all that history a little bit more, but I also wanted to mention at the time, you know, when these studios were being created and all these hits were being produced, segregation was still a big thing in, in Alabama, racial segregation. And, you know, sure. I've heard the, the studios described as kind of a family where where all these artists were brought together by a common thing, which was music. And so when you entered those doors, there was no more segregation. How important or how revolutionary at the time was it to have these studios in the middle of this segregated environment, just mixing and, and collaborating and, and getting along and getting together to, to make this legendary sound? How revolutionary was it at the time? Yeah, uh, Incredibly. I've heard it, heard it say, said that when an African-American artist, staple singers, whomever, Wilson Pickett, would walk into fame or Muscle Shoals Sound, that it was just people making art. Yeah. Uh, and I think that and David Hood of the Swampers has said this to me. I think he's as proud of that, that they had a positive effect on you know race relations in the South than he is the hits he played on. You came to that building, and it was the same way at fame, and you were just folks making art. Wilson Pickett, when he would come to town, used to stay with Jimmy Johnson of the Swampers. It was a family, and that was the environment. 
all of these local musicians had grown up admiring black artists. There was a respect there that maybe wasn't out there in the general public. Black artists was recording a muscle show sound, and they went to a restaurant, and they weren't treated well. Then they never went back to that restaurant again. It was yeah. just that a positive thing for them. Yeah. Yeah, and in the documentary, it talks about that a little bit. And that's an incredible documentary, by the way, if, if people are interested it is. in finding out more about yep. the shows, especially the, the sound. Uh, you definitely should check out that documentary, Muscle Shoals. I've, I've heard Muscle Shoals described as, you know, a magic place where, where the spirit of the people ha- have, have this certain soul. I know John Paul White of the Civil Wars is from that area, area and he describes it as, uh, a grove or a pocket that that sticks in your gut that connects all um, this kind of subconscious rhythm in your head if you're from there. I, I know that it, yep. it has produced uh, W.C. Handy, which is from there, which is the father of the blues. Sam Phillips, like yep. you mentioned, which is arguably, you know, invented rock and roll. Dwayne Allman, yep. you know, created Southern rock, arguably, while he worked and recorded in, in muscle shows and lived there at the time. Jimmy Cliff yep. kind of brought reggae to the mm-hmm. forefront in, in muscle shows from the area. And even the Rolling Stones said, you know, you, you mentioned a, a several of their recordings there, but they said if they had recorded all their albums there, all their records there, they would have been a lot more funkier. Just what do you think? <laughs> I've also heard them say that, that the shows just inspires you to do it differently. Why do you think that is? I don't think that any of these folks in the music business from Rawl to the Swampers, when it started, I don't think that they really knew the rules. I think they made up their rules as they went along. And I think that's what made it such a free place where they could come in. And like I say, you could do a reggae record, you could do a country record, you could do a soul record in the same two-week period. I just don't think that they knew that there were rules. And sometimes that's what makes great art. Plus, to be honest with you, I mean, we hadn't even talked about the, you know, the studio guitar players that were in this town. We had the Swampers. We had the Fame Gang. We had the original Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section. But, you know, you throw these guitar players like Dwayne Allman and Pete Carr, Wayne Perkins, you know, Will McFarlane, Larry Byram from Steppenwolf. I mean, they were all in the area playing on records at that t- at that time as well. Will McFarlane, who played with Bonnie Raitt for years, actually said to me one time, he goes, you come here and it's just like a, it's it's a family. It's a family with high expectations. Yeah. They expect you to be your best. And that's, you know, I think that's it. I honestly do. They didn't know there were rules. <laughs> And I've, I've even heard you say that even, you know, you, you work there, but even now when you walk through the door, your hair still stands up on the back of your neck. Oh, that's still the case. Oh, it does. It is, man. I mean, you know, you just think about that little building uh, at 3614 Jackson Highway, Muscle Shoals Sound is where legends walked. It's, it's nuts. I'll put it this way. Um, in fact, she's recording a Muscle Shoals Sound tonight, a young lady named Nicole Atkins. She did one of her solo records a couple of years ago there. She's recorded there since then. But she brought in this phenomenal band. I mean, the guitar player from Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, the drummer from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, the singer from the Austin, Texas band Spoon. She had David Hood of the Swampers on bass. And David was playing on most of the tracks. But then there was a knock 
at the back door of the studio, and the guy says, hey, I'm the bass player tonight. Here's Gary Talent from Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. He said he'd always dreamed of recording in that little studio. Wow. It's a destination for people that honor and love what these boys did. You know, when Roger Hawkins, the drummer of the Swampers, passed away, one of the things that I read was Chris France from the Top Head said, when I heard Roger Hawkins play on Aretha Franklin's Chain of Fools, I knew I wanted to be a drummer. That's the influence that these boys had on the world. Yeah. Again, country boys, and only one of them could read music. That was the beauty of it as well. That's why I say they didn't know there were rules because they didn't have rules. No. Are you serious? Only one of them could read music? <laughs> yeah, Barry Beckett on keyboards. He had a degree from the University of Alabama in music theory. Those boys couldn't read music. That's great. Which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. You think yeah. about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll throw this in real quick. When Roger passed away, David Hood did an interview in the Birmingham paper. And he said they were rehearsing one day. And David said, I was lost. Couldn't figure out where I needed to be. And that Roger looked at him and said this very simple word, little saying rather. He said, David, dance with me. It's all a dance. <laughs> he said, within five minutes, I knew where I needed to be. When you get to that point where you're such great musicians, it doesn't matter if you can read music as long as you've got that feeling. And that's what these boys had. It was that gut feel. And isn't that what all of these bluegrass pickers that you talked about, country pickers, they learned from somebody in their hometown or from somebody at church, didn't they? That's a very good That's point. the beauty yeah. of the South. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned the Swampers, you know, breaking off from fame and starting Muscle Show Sound Studio, or at the time, 3614 Jackson Highway. And one of their first uh -huh. clients I know was Cher, and she named her first album right. 3614 uh, Jackson Highway, which it took her a while to really take off after recording that that. But I know the first big hit to the studios was R.B. Greaves, Take yeah. a Letter, Maria. And so that's really when yep, that you know, kind of kind of took off. And they, they recorded everyone from, gosh, that's such a long list, but just some of the people, you know, like the Rolling Stones, like you mentioned, Bob Dylan, Rod Stewart, Willie Nelson, Carlos Santana, Dire Straits, Bob Skaggs, Molly Jackson. I mean, Bob Seger. There's just so many people. Yeah. If they hadn't formed another studio, do you think the shows would still be the shows that it is today? Uh, do you think that that competition or that, you know, I know there were other studios, but do you think the multitude of studios helped the region? I, I do. And I'm, I'm going to go back and, and, and uh, quote Rick Hall. Rick, Later on, many years later, said, I'm glad the Swampers left because that meant Muscle Shoals had more hits that I could have just handled the thing. Uh, it eventually, you know, some of the some of the initial people that were in publishing and whatnot at Muscle Shoals Sound broke off and started a studio called Wishbone. Wishbone had hit after hit after hit with, uh, uh, you know, Mac McAnally, of course, that's played with Jimmy Buffett for years, uh, you know, was a wishbone client. The Commodores at Wishbone, Roy Orbison at Wishbone. So it was just one thing led and fed to the other. 
You know, you're exactly right. But uh, I'll I'll give you this quick story about R.B. Greaves and take a letter, Maria. The Rolling Stones were in for three days. The first night they recorded You Gotta Move, the second Brown Sugar, and the third night Wild Horses. They were coming in and, oh, about six at night, working until about one time. R.B. Greaves was scheduled to record during that same period. And on the same day that the Rolling Stones recorded Brown Sugar, which went to number one... Swampers were the backing band for R.B. Grease. They recorded the letter Maria, and it was the first million seller out of the building. And the studio had two number one songs in 24 hours. Oh, wow. That's the magic. That <laughs> and by the way, R.B. Grease was Sam Cooke's nephew. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I had I didn't know that until just a few months ago when I found that out. I thought that was fascinating. That is. But, yeah. Mean- Obviously, the Swampers were well known before that, but after that first hit, they just, you know, people just poured into the studios. And I know the Rolling Stones loved, yeah. loved Muscle Shoals, loved the Shoals region. And like you said, those those hits, I, I think the the story behind Wild Horses is that Keith, Keith Richards wrote it in the bathroom, right, of Muscle Shoals Down Studios or 36. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote the lyrics and the arrangement, then uh... – Mick Jagger changed some of the of the lyrics, which I'm not sure Keith's happy with. But yeah, he wrote that in the bathroom, uh, in that little live room. By the way, to put this in perspective for folks, that little studio is about 25 feet wide and about 50 feet long. Yeah, to put that in perspective. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you go to Cher's Cher's album 3614, it's on the album and it yeah. it's tiny. Yeah. It is a tiny place. It's uh, uh, Roger Hawkins of the Swampers uh, said in an interview one time, he goes, you know, it's 25 feet wide and 50 feet long. He goes, something goes wrong with a recording. Somebody gets mad. He goes, where are you going to run and hide? <laughs> you got to be a team. <laughs> you know, you got to be, you got to fix stuff. And that's it. And I thought that was kind of the perfect little anecdote for that little tiny place. It was, in fact, a casket showroom in the forties and the fifties. So obviously Leonard Skinner recorded recorded there. I know at thirty six fourteen Jackson Highway or what is Muscle Shoals Down Studio, but in the beginning they recorded several songs that they couldn't use because of some complications, I think I, I, I heard or mm-hmm. I think that's in the documentary, but also the Swampers later, I think they had eleven songs on the first and last last album of Leonard Skinner. Right. But but the but the right. song Sweet Home Alabama, which I've listened to a thousand times, and everyone has heard this song and everyone has heard this verse, but I'm not so sure that they put two and two together. That verse Muscle Shows has got the Swampers. <laughs> That's exactly what he's talking, yeah. talking about there. They're talking about the Swampers and the and the Muscle Shows. Yeah, absolutely. Well the story goes that um Skinner was in the studio, and they they cut a bunch of uh, demos, and they went back to Atlanta and uh, they placed and they put the, the tapes on, and they sounded distorted, they sounded bad, and of course Ronnie Van Zant got angry. 
he went to everyone that would listen and say, said, we thought Jimmy Johnson at Muscle Shoals was our friend. He's jealous of us. He's trying to destroy our career. Well, they finally took the tapes to a real studio, and an engineer put them on and said, there's nothing wrong with the tapes. You just put them on the machine wrong. The story goes that Ronnie called Jimmy at Muscle Shoals Sound and apologized. And two days later, Ronnie, Ed King, and Gary Rosington wrote Sweet Home Alabama as their apology to Jimmy for talking badly about him. No, so that's serious? where the song came from. Oh, wow. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> so, Terrell, how did you end up in your position? I had been with Tower Records for all those years, and I came back to the shows. And I uh, went to work for the local newspaper as a marketing manager, and then I went to work for radio station actually owned by the Sam Phillips family, his uh, youngest son, Jerry, and his granddaughter. And when they opened the studio and opened a couple of months, and they wanted to do uh, Saturday and Sunday tours. So I started working seven days a week and enjoying it. And then uh, in 2019, I just decided I would get my social security and be involved with the studio full time. And that's what I've been lucky enough to do. So over many years, I can't imagine anyone asking me this question if I was you, but Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. there a favorite story that you have uh, related to the studio or related to the the area or just. There's There's a bunch. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the fact that uh, when the stones were there, Keith Richards' guitar amp was distorting the entire room. They weren't really sure what to do, and they called a radio engineer in Florence, a man named Paul Kelly. Paul came over, and supposedly Jimmy Johnson's uncle had been working on something, a little pad that would knock down distortion from amplifiers, and kind of took that concept, and he put rubber-made pads like you put your dishes on when you wash them. Hmm. That under the amp, and the uh, distortion went away. Wow. And the story got that uh, looked at Paul and says, that's the greatest thing I have ever seen in a studio in my entire life. And Paul, I knew the man, he didn't know who Keith Richards was and he didn't care who he was. Got him and said, well, boy, that's really technology because that's how we do things around here. <laughs> I think that may be my favorite story is the hillbilly technology story, you know, <laughs> but there's, there are so many, you know, and that's a good one. Though. <laughs> you have a favorite recording or favorite record that was recorded in either of the studios or, or in the region? Well, I'll tell you, um, I'm really, really fond of, the uh, staple singers and the Bobby Womack records that were done here across 110th Street initially was done at sound. But my favorite one is uh, a young man that was one of the tragic stories of Muscle Shoals and something that your listeners could they want to do a little homework. My favorite record done in that building was by a young man that's on the cover of the Share record. Um, Eddie was one of the most brilliant musicians that ever came to the shows, songwriter, guitar player, to play every instrument. He was that type of guy. Conducted the London Philharmonic. Sadly, Eddie was mentally ill, and he went through a horrific time in his life. But in 1976, he came to Muscle Shoals. He had been signed by Capricorn Records down in Macon, the Allman Brothers label. Uh, in fact, Eddie had been Dwayne Allman's roommate at a cabin out on the Tennessee River when Dwayne was living here. 
But Eddie came in and did a little album. They did it live at Muscle Shoals Sound in two days. The name of the album, Very Extremely Dangerous. It's maybe the great lost soul record of our time. It is absolutely my favorite record done in that building. Uh, it is the most funky, awful thing you've ever heard. It's raw. You can hear Eddie kind of count it off before some of the tracks. It's a stunning record, and folks need to go find that. Forget Eddie's tragic life. Just find that record and hear one of the most soulful records ever in Muscle Shoals. By the way, Eddie is also the guitar player. I'm the staple singer, as I'll take you there. When Mavis says, Daddy, all Daddy, on the great little guitar riff, it's actually Eddie. It's not Pops. Very cool. Do you have a favorite song yeah. off that album? Uh, it's called You Got Me Singing. And I think that's part of the beauty of it. I think the beauty of music sometimes is the mistakes or just the looseness of it. And this was just loose and funky, and it sounded like everyone was having his time. He had a, the horn section and, and the band live in that little studio. And Eddie, he always did vocals in the bathroom and throat wild horses. He felt like that was the place to get his sound. That's a great record. We've just uh, touched the surface of, you know, the legend that is the shoals, but we wanted to identify with the shoals and, and identify the shoals being in Appalachia and let everyone know how diverse the music scene is in Appalachia. Everything from, like we mentioned, rock and roll, southern rock, to bluegrass, to country, to reggae. It's all, it all has come out of this region and, you know, people everywhere should know about it and that's kind of why we wanted to have you on to talk about the region to talk about the history just to celebrate it's, everything that, that comes out of there really absolutely well i think everyone out there that's listening i can wrap up how great these musicians and the music that came out of this area by saying the same drummer that is on aretha franklin's respect is the drummer that's on Willie Nelson's Bloody Mary Morning. <laughs> Great. That's pretty stunning. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. Hey, Terrell, yeah. in tradition of, of what we yeah. all, what we ask all of our guests, so when I say this, this one word, what comes to mind, the first thing that rolls off your tongue or the first thing you think of when I say the word Appalachia? In all honesty, I think about the Carter family, that little area, Tennessee. I think about the coal miners in Kentucky. I think about people that grew up hard with nothing but continued to go and to work and to make their lives as good as possible. I think about my background. My family was Irish. I think about the Irish that came and populated the area. They were tough folks that worked hard, survivors. That's the word survivors not to change the subject tarot at all mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. as appalachians uh will and i are big football fans so other than eating oh, yeah. all broccoli a week from tomorrow uh who do you got <laughs> todd or the dog uh i'm gonna say this and i said it before the sec championship game there's a little bitty part in kirby smart's head and nick saban lives there 
<laughs> Nick's going to find a way to win the ball game. And Georgia may be the best, better football team. Yeah. But I think Alabama's going to win the ball game. And I'm not saying it because I'm, I, I went to Alabama and I'm an Alabama fan. I, I just think as long as Nick Saban's there, I don't know who's going to beat him regularly, you know? <laughs> I did want to mention real quick, we've talked about the history. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we didn't, we haven't scratched the surface, but we didn't even mention, you know, the drive-by truckers, Patterson Hood, who is the oh, son yeah. of David Hood, yeah. but also Jason Isbell. Yep. And, you know, their sounds developed yep. in that region. The Civil Wars, like I mentioned, Sean Paul White. Absolutely. Um, you know, even these new age, this new age sound has come from that region, and it's just been incredible. Absolutely. Uh, I tell you what, if, if yeah. anybody out there likes live music and just likes a jam session, go to a drive-by trucker oh. live show. It's incredible. Oh, they, they put on a show when they perform it. Well, the, I mean, you're going to get your money's worth with, with Pat. <laughs> sure. And that comes all the way back. I'll tell you exactly where that came from. He was such a believer in Springsteen. And you know, Bruce would do those four, four and a half hour shows. Yeah. and Pat just always said that's how it ought to be done, and that's exactly what he's done. You know. One thing I do want to mention yeah. before we let you go, mm-hmm. uh, we mentioned the documentary, mm-hmm. and for everyone out there, if you want to let them know where they can watch that documentary because it's incredible, the Muscle Shoals documentary. Right, right. It's uh, it's available right now on, if you have Amazon Prime. And I believe it's just a few dollars on YouTube as well. Okay. Uh, put together by a gentleman that's actually on our uh, board of directors from, from L.A. who was driving through the area with a friend and saw the signs that said, Welcome to Muscle Shoals, hit recording capital of the world, and became curious and uh, put that documentary together. His name is Stephen Badger. He's kind of the man that saved Muscle Shoals sound, brought it back. Yeah, if you're uh, interested. Very in- important. If you're interested in the shoals, or if you're in, even if you're interested in Appalachia, learn a little bit more. Check it out; it's very cool. I also wanted to give a shout out to the Florence Lauderdale Convention and Visitors Bureau. They do a great job of sure. promoting the shoals, not just the music, but everything that goes on there. I want to give a shout out to them and all the work that they do. Absolutely, uh, they do a great job. That you know, we have so many things besides fame, models, sound. Birthplace. There's also the Alabama Music Hall of Fame, where you can see everyone as diverse as from Hank Williams to the great jazz artist Sun Ra to Tommy Shaw from Man Sticks are all members of that uh, Hall of Fame. So, uh, cool. yeah, it's they do a tremendous job. Terrell, thank you so much for being on the show. You're, you're yeah. just a, a wealth of knowledge. Like I said, a virtuoso of the history of the, of the sound there in Muscle Shoals. And we, we appreciate your time for sure. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I, I enjoy it, guys. And right, We appreciate your time, man. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. All right, buddy. We'll see you guys. Oh my gosh. It's always an education for me when we're talking music, but uh, Terrell, I loved everything you had to say. Yeah, yeah. getting to the music, though, I love those inside stories, all those inside stories that he had of, of the Stones, of uh, David Hood, of, of just all the stuff that legendary stuff, the history that has gone on in those studios. I hated to ask him that question of, you know, give me your favorite story. 
I'm sure he's got a million in his in his mind, but uh, I loved I loved uh, where he went with that, and uh, I really appreciated that 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 story there, as as well as all the others. Not not a lot of people recognize the shoals as being in Appalachia. You know, it's just important to remember how diverse our region is and how inclusive we are, not only when it comes to our people, but also you know the music and the sound of the region. To that point, the Appalachian question we asked him, man, he nailed that too. He was all over the map with the, everything he thought about when it came to Appalachia. He even hit on the coal miners in Kentucky. So, I mean, I know you appreciate that just like I did. But uh, what a wealth of knowledge. And, um, you know, I really appreciate him jumping on with us and, and educating our, our listeners. Yeah, definitely. Me too. I appreciate his time. I want to thank him again. You know, to that point, I, I just wanted to ask you tonight as we move into to our uh, next segment of the show, you know, we always try to, to bring perspective back to our listeners and, and just focus in on uh, some of the things that hit home with us. So we tagline this, play, this uh, segment as of place. Tonight, I'm going to ask you, is there anything that kind of hit you as we were uh, going through this interview tonight and, and listening to all those stories? Is there anything that that you might have for us on, on tonight's episode of, or tonight's segment of, of place. It's kind of personal to me. And I just want to talk a little bit about uh, something that Terrell mentioned in the episode, you know, we talked about the diversity in the region and, and how some people didn't even know the shoals uh, was in Appalachia. But when he started talking about kind of the new age artists there, right at the end, we talked about Isabel, but we talked about the drive by truckers and Patterson hood the lead singer of the truckers. I thought this was an amazing episode just because I, you know, I love music and I, and I love the sound and I love the, the incredible history of the shoals. But when you talk about the truckers, first time I saw them live was in DC at the nine 30 club. What a place to hear them for the first time. Yeah. Like I said, it's one of my favorite venues kind of behind uh, the ramen. You, you know, when I saw them live, I mean, they just put on an incredible show. I mean, they rock out hours upon hours. Like you said, you get your money's worth when you go to a trucker show. But uh, the one thing at the time that I didn't realize was kind of the history of Patterson Hood, where he was from, where he grew up, what made him write the songs that he writes, where he gets his inspiration. And it all's from Appalachia. And so there I am in D.C., listening to the truckers, not realizing the people that I were listening to were from the same region that I was from. Maybe not the same area, meaning I come from Eastern Kentucky. They come from Northwestern Alabama, but the same region when it, when it comes to Appalachia, we're from the same region. We're both Appalachians, you know, always Appalachians. And I just wanted to mention that, you know, you never know who you meet, who you're listening to, where you get your inspiration. It could be from a fellow Appalachian and you not even know it. We have a very diverse region. It's not just country. When you talk about music, it's not just country. It's not just bluegrass. It's all genres, uh, especially when it comes to the shoals, legendary place where it's kind of like we mentioned before, a magical place when it comes to music history. The older I get and the more and more I talk to people and, and learn their history and where they're from, you know, I always come back to that, man. We're, we're always Appalachian. There's a connection somewhere. So that's like another. we said many a times, and I think we can, you know, bring, bring this episode to a close is that 
we're not all that different. You know, there, we, we find no matter where we go, there are definitely more similarities than differences. Absolutely. All right. I guess I'll end it like I usually do. Till next time. Peace.